it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, sorry to get Okay. Hello, hello, hello. This is For the Girls Podcast. Hi, this is For the Girls Podcast. I'm Nick Westrate. And I'm Jason Black. This is a podcast about gay people who love divas and queer people oh. who love queens and lesbians who love legends. This is for fans with big hair from Staten Island. This is for a podcast for secretaries and temps who use a lot of hairspray. This is for taking a communal boat to work and listening to pods about ladies. Are you are you on your morning commute this morning listening about divas? Well, then this is going to be a special episode dedicated to you. Honey, put on your make get your makeup on, uh, change into your high heels, <laughs> and we're about ready to go deep diving into 1988. Get that get that light and sugary coffee on the go, and get into work on time. Because what are we covering uh, this week, Jay? We are doing we are um, we are um, opening up uh, the vault on and bringing out yet again one of my musty uh, old favorite movies. Called Working Girl. Yeah, Working Girl. Yay. Directed by Mike Nichols and starring the three divas, Melanie wow. Griffith, Sigourney Weaver, and Joan Cusack. Joan Cusack. Yes, yes. Okay, Origins, because <sighs> that's one of our favorite things. Um, origin stories are our favorite. Which I think we say that, but I don't think we've actually quite explained, and there's not really much to explain, except that between <laughs> Nick and I, we, we sat during, um, uh, I'm, I'm sure we were like slightly intoxicated during Wolverine, um, in parentheses, Origins, and anytime Wolverine would like open a door, Nick would turn to me and go, Origins, Origins, <laughs> that's his Origins. And so from then on, if we could like smell like someone's Origins, we would say it. Origins. And, um, and now we made an entire podcast that's really just our origins. If you're, our origins. If you're just tuning Mining in. Mining nostalgia till death. This, this is just a podcast about two people who have been friends their entire lives talking about movies they used to rent on VHS. Mm-hmm. And so, <laughs> so, yes. And so, this origins. Yes. This was a big one for me. This one, this one actually more than Steel Magnolias is kind of. Um, a, more than Steel Magnolias? Trip. No, 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 not not more than Sid Magnolia. No, no, Sid Magnolia is my favorite movie of all time. But this movie, uh, more than Sid Magnolia, is the, a connective tissue to my mother. Mm. I really associate this movie with a movie that my mother truly loved and I truly loved. And uh, we would both watch together and uh, come away with like a, a feeling really entertained and really good. So I've kind of had this movie play out uh, through different parts of my life. But I definitely like... And we'll get into it, I, and I just can't not help. But that beginning is one of the most iconic. Just open, camera. open on Lady Liberty, just spinning around Lady Stop Liberty, and the spinning around Lady Liberty. I don't know that. I, I 
it brings me back and it it fills me up. Well, that, also just with that the camera swirling and so much of like mythology of so I'm if so many people growing up, especially little queer kids in the Midwest, like New York City, like opening the, on that. Opening on that and then with I think to me it's like so with those with that imagery and then with the Carly Simon "Let the River Run" mm-hmm. uh, a song, which is which just encapsulates 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 so many uh, of, of that feelings of like waking up and and there Sorry, she that's is, my cat. Hi, that's my cat Jane joining the podcast. We and- have two cat. We have we each have a cat, <laughs> and they're both they both saw their daddy's potty <laughs> potty eating. So we've got Jane on the ones and twos, and Latoya, and Latoya on the fours and sixes. <laughs> um, so Latoya's on, Latoya's taking your calls. So if you if you have some <laughs> shit to say, about she's manning the yeah, she's manning the lines. She is manning the lines. If you hear some silence and a, and a bitchy stare, <laughs> that means leave a message. Um, uh, we were talking about uh, Lady Liberty. Oh, the opening. The opening is just, yeah, like, that's really around the Statue of Liberty in, the, in that kind of, like, choral, um, more inspirational song that comes in. watch it five times so i would watch it and then you would i watch it again and again and again before mm. i actually went through this whole movie on our re, on our rewatch because i just i love that feeling and it really does it is it, you you do get that in new york you know you do get that rush of energy and the kind of scrambling to get get to get to your jobs and then, then also that hopefulness too i don't know i think it's Possibly, like, not to knock any other parts of this great movie, but one of, probably one of my favorite parts. Just, ge- I was thinking so much about geography in this movie, and when she comes back, you know, later after she's been defeated, and it, she's going back across the statue, uh, across the on the Staten Island ferry, across the New mm-hmm. York Harbor, and looking out, and just that reverse, like that whole hero's journey of like there and back again, and what that means for Tess, Tess McGill, our heroine, as portrayed by. The truly iconic Melanie Griffith. Iconic. And they knew that they had a hit in that song because they basically only play versions of that song throughout the film. I know. When everyone's like, like, music by Carly Simon, I'm like, one song by Carly Simon? One song by Carly (laughs) Simon, but that song is played through... It's a good no, no, but girl, that song is played throughout the whole film, like on flute, on, on like <laughs> that's true in a brass band, like no, it is played like you like because I've seen it so many times. I was like, I want to see how many times they kind of uh, appropriate uh, this tune into the movie, and they play it sad, they play it happy, they play it contemplative. It's the theme. It's I mean, I would call it the theme, but the other I call it the hardcore theme of this movie. You know, the hardcore other thing I love about the opening of the the other thing I love about the opening of this movie, Boo, is it opens mm-hmm. with friendship. The first thing you see after the Statue of Liberty is you see Melanie and Joan together, all cuddled up, and it's Melanie's birthday, and they have a little She's cupcake. She's turning 30. She's turning 30 in the movie. Y'all, we need to talk about that, because to me, this was like adult. Like, this was my adult movie. Like, <laughs> watching this with my mom, this was my adult movie. This was like, uh, this is what I was going to be as an adult. I was uh, going to be the Joan Cusack character. Funky with a sense of style. <laughs> I'm in sweatpants. I've been in sweatpants for three years now because I don't like 
anything belts that you could belt, I guess. Oh, um, I, Joan I, Cusick I wasn't wears inspired. great belts. Joan Cusick isn't in sweatpants in this movie. No, I'm in sweatpants oh. as an adult. Okay. I thought I was going to be the Joan Cusack, and I'm currently oh, in sweatpants. You've fallen from that grace, I know. I've fallen from that grace. But the but you could still re- is- you could still regain it by imitating those fucking eyeshadow looks she gives in this movie. I know. Didn't you think? Weren't you like? Did you paint a higher? Did you paint your eyebrow higher? But no. It's just they just like really worked with like elongating oh. that like character face so well. It was so. I mean, the eyeshadow fucking kills me. But I just love that it's friendship that opens it, and their friendship is so complicated and great in this movie and it's a really really beautiful point when they're on that boat yeah and she says make a wish and then it goes back into the song and then they get off the boat and they're all shuffling in to like join you know go to go to work melanie is going to like get her wish which is to become like the queen of all capitalism in new york city because she (laughs) is like i mean this movie it's a problematic movies what's really funny about talking about this movie is i remember being like mergers and acquisitions is what and then rewatching it with like some more uh age under my belt i'm like wow this makes <laughs> they don't really care about explaining what she's doing let me tell you what she's doing she's reading the new- she's reading the new york post she is finding yep. articles in the new york post that help her realize what to do in mergers and acquisitions and let me tell you I long for those days. I bet if it was... She also reads W. She reads W and she reads the post and she pays attention. You know Sigourney Weaver doesn't pay attention because she's too busy putting her feet on the desk and fucking going not skiing. Not reading post. Not, not reading, reading the post. post. Not reading the, new, the, the, the iconic. She doesn't read the gossip section. She doesn't she pay doesn't attention to those things. And that's what's going to impress Philip Bosco by the end of the movie. Because, listen, if you are some unknown conglomerate that wants to do something for your stocks and you're trying to buy a film, you're trying to go into TV, well, listen, as Melanie Griffiths has uncovered, uh uh-uh, sweeties, you start with the radio, I guess. You get them, and then you resell your stock, and everyone is. I mean, I have. But no you idea. have to keep I reading the back. post because your number one the disc post? jockey could be transferring to New York City and leaving the company, which is the tip she gets at the end. Where does she find that tip? On the motherfucking Staten Island ferry, bitch. That's where yes. you read the New York Post. Listen, she is going to be the boss of of people. That's what she is. I mean, I did at the end of the movie. Okay, so let me just spoil my biggest hot take takeaway for this movie. Your hot take is at the very end. Yes, I mean, I just wrote down, I mean, I really hate this movie as it really glorifies capitalist exceptionalism. You know? (laughs) Oh, you. It's like one woman can get out of the secretarial pool if she reads the New York Post hard enough. Then she can do it. (laughs) This is a nasty thing. It's just like everything. It's very like kind of Ayn Rand. You know, everyone in this movie voted for Trump. Well, you know what? Oh, okay. Well, I have a couple of things. Well, for one, you know, this is coming out of the Reaganomics. Yes. And I think it's like a really good counterpart to like Martin Scorsese's Wall Street. You know what I mean? Like yes. there, a lot of people were trying to understand this kind of celebrated culture um, of working, uh, you know. Girls guess, and boys. Working in offices with a ton of sec. How many people are secretaries? How many? Like, so, those cubicles are so close. No, like, but bitch, I fucking, attack. you know I spend a lot of time as a temp. That is what I, it still looks like. Is it, 
Is it yes. does it serious? Because I was going to ask you because like this because um, this presses presses angel me. I don't think I've ever even been in an office larger than a doctor's office. Okay, so I in my life. Whenever I used to te- I used to temp for many years, and also I have to give a little shout out to my one of my best girls um, on earth, Ashton Heil who was my original temping fairy godmother who like taught, got me in there. And Ashton is also the queen of tennis shoes into high heels in really? the elevator. She is the queen. She Whenever I meet, would meet her for drinks after yes. work, there's always like a big old high heel getting shoved into a purse. And when I saw that at the beginning of the movie, okay. I was like, so that's yes. Fa- yes, and that is fabulous. But then there's also something so sick that like then they have to like, you know, change into like, these horrible shoes horrible to be shoes. professional where it's like, why can't they just wear actual like supportive shoes? Well, so you there's know what? A lot, a lot if you, that, but... to quote Sigourney Weaver quoting Coco Chanel, if you mm. dress shabbily, they notice the dress. If you dress impeccably, they notice the woman. They notice the woman. Duh. That's why I wear sweatpants <laughs> and like, uh, and busted out zippies. <laughs> oh my God. Sigourney Weaver. So, okay, no, but, um, sorry, but temping, I would, constantly be in a Melanie Griffith fantasy that I was going to meet my Harrison Ford Mm -hmm. in the office if I just made my coffee at the right time and like did the right thing. Yeah, dude. So was there like, there's like a, you know, what they didn't show, which I really wanted. I, I, um, and I know they didn't because I've seen this movie a hundred times, but I really wish they would show like, to me, the funnest thing about going to the office is the, place where you get your coffee and maybe a donut and maybe some a slice of birthday cake and you can just like you know eat your pre-packed sandwich did you have that oh yeah you know bitch you know what i remember one time you came to one of my christmas parties with something with like the the, like the world's largest cupcake from one of an office party oh definitely remember that yeah definitely oh i remember that yeah i absolutely do um, anyways, there's this interview that uh, Sigourney Weaver does in right after the movie, and she's getting interviewed and kind of uh, t- kind of talking about her character, because Sigourney Weaver... Okay, so the movie, quick setup. Melanie Griffith... Gets a cupcake uh, on the Staten Island Ferry, goes to work. Gets a cupcake. She goes to work, she gets... She, you know, she, uh, her bosses are pigs, and they set her up with the number one pig in the world, who? Kevin Spacey, number one pig on Earth, playing a number one pig on Earth in one of his yeah, first movie Yeah, I think this is actually, role. like, his first movie role, yeah. No, his first movie role is Heartburn with Meryl and Jack Nicholson, but this, like, very early Kevin. Yeah, very early Kevin. Kind of actually, I think, it, at least it did help him kind of get on the map, whatever. Uh, he plays a sleazeball, and she gets fired, and then she goes and works. Oh, but uh, she gets fired, but what queen fucking comes in and saves her in the employment office? Hot hot drop of a cameo, Olympia Dukakis. Fucking and fierce Olympia cameo. It. Isn't that fun? Isn't that a fun cameo? You <laughs> know, and, uh, and, and Nick and I talk about this, uh, that something that I think was like so fabulous for us growing up is, you know, we were kind of kids of the of the... 90s and so to go back and watch things from the 80s with these women that we were loving and then being able to watch them in real time and kind of track their progression really was such a fantasy you know like i i remember being of that age and being and having seen steel magnolias and then being like oh my gosh but olympia is also just pops up randomly as um it's not called a talent scout what do you call the no was she i don't i couldn't tell if she was like an she seemed like a temp agent. She seemed like an employment agent or a recruiter of some kind. A recruiter. Who, who, pay, who placed um, people like Tess, like secretaries, but who are really good at 
reading the New York Post, and she knew where to right. place them. And so she, so Olympia places her with Sigourney Weaver, who mm. is, works at a mergers and acquisitions department of some finance company. And we'll she is not 30. She's 29, and she's about to turn 30, which I was kind of – to me, Sigourney is perpetually 40 years old, like even now – Absolutely. I was like, neither. well, neither of them were 30. Like, that's a for sure thing. Like, that's truly. In 88, they weren't 30. I think they um, were. I think Melanie was, because Melanie's 61 right now, and it's 2019. So I think she was exactly 30 in oh, 88. Really? Yeah. Well, Melanie, okay, Melanie's Look 30. at me yeah, doing math. This is a math and economics podcast. Hi, someone look, call Malcolm Gladwell. And look at me giving cold, hard, wrong facts. Um <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. But yeah, Sigourney, uh, Sigourney, you're right. I, I when when she was like, "Oh, I'm just 29," I was like, "Sigourney, you've never been 29." <laughs> I know. Like, there's you've a, never. She's so mature in your 20s. Yeah, she's so mature. She's so poised. You know, like she's we, just, you know, yeah. we saw her in '82, be Ridley or right Ripley, Ripley, directed by Ridley Scott. <laughs> yeah, I think he did that because he loves himself. Um, what named her Ripley? Yes, because it sounds like his name. And hey, believe it or like not, me, that could have happened. They get him confused. Anyways, she she seems <laughs> she seems so old. You know, she was killing aliens. So the fact, like seven years later, she, you know, she was she was killing ghosts and ghost or she was a who, she was Zool. She, she was a Zool. Zool. There um, is no Dana, only Zool. I mean, one of my favorite performances. So I mean, the fact that Sigourney that, didn't win like, an Oscar for Ghostbusters still haunts me at night. Well, she hasn't won an Oscar at all, which we'll get into. Um, but the <sighs> fact that she was like saying that she was 29, I was like, honey, you've had way too much life experience to be 29 and she's coming Im- from Boston, baby. She's immortal. She's like an immortal Grecian goddess who we've had on this planet for at least a th- 2,000 years. I believe that she, thoroughly. She, she truly is. Anyway, so she plays the boss. So Sigourney is the boss and she tells Tess that it's a two-way street with them because they're women and they're going to support each other. And then what does – what evil capitalist mantra does Sigourney teach Melanie? Melanie's like leaning at her feet and Sigourney looks at her and goes, Tess, Tess, look at me. Who makes it happen? I do. Who does? I do. I make it happen. That's right. Only then do we get what we deserve. <laughs> Love that you're taking this because me, I was like, ooh, I'm going to say that to myself in the mirror every day. <laughs> I was like, I know why she's looking up at her like that because that's powerful. And you, what a, what, go, go over yourself, fucking, go over yourself, Amazon communism. Like, <laughs> bitch, what world do you live in? Listen, um, war in 2020. Um. <laughs> oh, oh, okay, okay. We're cutting. Shit, this that. is a politics we can't say podcast. That shit. I'm not, I don't endorse that. I don't even know. <laughs> I I'm, don't even know you. I don't know. Um, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll save because I want to talk about the Buttigieg. He's, I mean, they're really loving that white fag. Um, <laughs> they are. <laughs> we'll keep this all in here and get canceled. 
Uh, we're gonna cancel I love the speech. idea that we can get canceled. It's so funny. No, <laughs> Me <gonna>, too. <laughs> we're going to look at the little stats on this episode. And they're like, wow, Shadow. everyone, everyone stop listening after four minutes. <laughs> I like the idea of being shadow banned. Have you heard of that term? Like, yes. Like they can't hashtag us because we're so controversial. <laughs> I call Peter Buttigieg a white faggot. Um, uh, so... <laughs> Um, anyways, okay, yes. So what she does, her white capitalism, yeah, her, her white woman capitalism, because she's a working girl. I was like, yes, only you can pull yourself on your, up on your bootstraps. And so, like, you know, bring me all your hot ideas. And like we said, she brings her her hot idea that, like, literally, like, if you all watch this movie, do not, do not listen too closely to these facts because you'll go down a rabbit hole of what the fuck. But, like, she's like, hey, like, it's, it's radio. Trask's looking for television stations. Well, so is every Tom, Dick, and Harry. See, my idea is that they get their feet wet in radio and build from there. I mean, it's not as glamorous as jumping right into TV, but it's a solid place to start, and there's a lot more of them for sale. Plus, it would solve Trask's problem with his Japanese competitors trying to take him over, because FCC forbids foreign ownership of radio as well as TV. So Gourney's like, that's great, and then is like, um, you know what? That didn't work. Whatever. This is way too long of a description. And so Sigourney is like, whatever, I'm going to go skiing and breaks her leg. And then Tess takes over her life, which is amazing and very single white female of her. Yeah. And then and Tess takes over her life, but also realizes that Sigourney was not all about the two-way street. Sigourney was going to go behind her back. And so she Tess is like, she's right. I have to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I have to take care of myself and you know my what, ideas. You know what I am going to steal from our evil capitalist villainess Sigourney Weaver from this movie, though? <laughs> See, this is so funny because I can't wait to get into this. You say villainess and I say slightly hero. Like, I'm such a schlub and I've always, always a schlub. And so, like, I kind of do look up, at, uh, up, up, up to her. Come on. Oh, come on, waspy queen. Yeah, that's true. I mean, she does turn her fucking hospital room into party central. And I love her like iconically in that slip and that hospital bed and all the doctors have fallen in love with her. And they're like she eating knows brie German. on crackers. She speaks German fluently. Wunderschön, danke. Und Sie? Wie ist der Rücken? Gut. Und Marlena? Fabelhaft. Hören Sie, ist es möglich, das 314 zu bekommen? And the other thing this queen does is she dictates cards and letters to people on a little dictaphone and she sits around and she's like dearest sister i can't believe it's been eight years since we left wellesley i'm gonna fucking play no, that right now i'm gonna play this clip right now Listen i'm to gonna this do shit. that too yeah play it because then she also says dear mommy and bobo or something just like <laughs> dear mommy and bobo or <laughs> something i was like who is this dear sister it's hard to believe but it's been eight years since we say goodbye to wellesley but of course we never really say goodbye and on behalf of the Alumni Giving Fund, I am writing to you to ask, Dear Momo and Ba, here I am Momo back in New York and living in Mommy's house while I brave the New York real estate market looking for a place of my own. And from these, these tapes, names. fucking I Melanie love. learns how to speak. Yes, this is what rich people's name. This is what I thought rich people sounded like and did. I loved it. And so, But the um, thing I love about this movie is Melanie is her own Henry Higgins. She's her own fairy godmother. She teaches herself. Like, she uses Sigourney's dictaphone and clothes and computer and million-dollar apartment and all this stuff. Multi-million-dollar apartment. But she teaches herself how to be an evil capitalist on her own merits. Okay, so <laughs> Nick has one take. I have another. <laughs> <laughs> which we'll get into uh, it, about about a, just a simple story of overcoming the odds. 
Um, and I do, I do think in all earnest, it, it was, um, well, first off, this is such a mixed conversation. So Sigourney, so with her, with, with kind of like the villain aspect, uh, the, the kind of stealing from Melanie's ideas, Sigourney is being interviewed about her character in 1988. And she does give this like kind of delicious response in which she says, well, you know, I do think, you know, she, you know, she really is, you know, does try to support women and really is tries to tries to be there until i guess at a certain point she isn't and then and she just and it's all for herself and then sigourney pauses and she says hmm, that's that that's very modern that's very republican Ooh. <laughs> see sigourney's on my side yeah but yeah but like okay she hates yes. the republicanness of this movie she hates yes but she hates mike nichols soft republican stance on this stuff Yes, but the, you know that's not what it's about, and I and I will say, um, you know, I watched there. Um, Sigourney also does an interview. Uh, she did an interview last year at UCLA with Jen Yamato, uh, talking about the film. Sigourney had rewatched it, and then she got on stage and she was talking about it. And Jen, the host, uh, talks about how her mother was a working woman and how her mother went to the screening and and would go to to work with the working girl mug that she got from seeing that screening in 1988 and how impactful that was just to see representation. Yeah, just to course. see women being represented on film was so big for her. And, you know, that kind of fairy tale of you can pull yourself up and, um, you know, overcome your un- uncultured upbringing. Like I love at the beginning of the film, Melanie's like, I have to take voice classes because my voice don't sound right. Right. <laughs> Speech classes. Uh, and then, and then, but then on the T on you on your other thing is when at the very end, where she's like uh, talking to her secretary and kind of being human with her. Mm. I want to be like, and Melanie, tell her about all of the all of the hot hot tips about how you got ahead, girl. I know. <laughs> you crash I'm... weddings. You <laughs> lied. <laughs> like you stole people's clothes. Like you didn't really do anything in the in the way of. Like it's actual, not like a, it's not like a blueprint business? that someone else could follow. It was, it, but that's what I mean about the whole thing. It teaches you that, like, if you're lucky and you roll the dice really hard and you, you know, meet the right guy at the bar and fall in love with him. I one of the reviews um, I read that we were reading. I forget. We read a lot of different cool 25th anniversary of Working Girl articles. Oh, yeah. Like, we're going to try not to give too many hot takes because there's a hundred hot so takes on how Working Girl has aged. It's been kind of poor, but. But one of, the, one of the hot takes from, I think it was maybe a Slate article or something, was that in these 80s movies, the ultimate thing is making money and sex. And that money and sex together, money and love were often confused in pop culture at the time as being like that combination of those two things is the ultimate. So her and Harrison's platonic turned sexual merge and acquisition of each other is like the ultimate eighties super romance. Right. Like, like they're at the end, they're getting together. And I do, I do love that when they're like, he like eats a bit of toast and then gives her a bit of toast. Oh, the little lunch pail. He gives her the lunch pail is so cute. See, I do. I could be corporate. I could be corporate with my little 
my little my little weekend sweaters, my little kind of rough um, Heather Gray weekend sweaters, and we're just reading the New York Times. I do. You 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 shush, but girl, I've been poor for so long, honey. I'm still sitting here. Like you're gonna go to night school, my weathered just like, Afghan. Are you ready to go to night school, just like Melanie, and fucking learn? Well, how listen, to... I'm very not. I'm not very ambitious. So <laughs> I will. I, and I live. Mo- I live. 85% of my life in fantasy. Um, so I woke up this morning letting the river run, that's for sure. That's but for I'm sure. a damn sweatpants. You have a million-dollar podcast that you've created. So, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's being a fucking Sigourney queen. Um, but, you know, I, but I think also to the point, though, I think to me what, you know, what, what does, you know, the film is muddled. We're obviously hinting at, like, there's like a lot of muddled messages in it. It's very 80s, but I think it is a very important film too. And I do think she does look up at Harrison Ford at the end, and 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 you know he's like, well, why 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 wouldn't why wouldn't you just told me? And she was like, because I was a secretary. Look, if I told you I was just some secretary, you never would have taken the meeting. I mean, think about it. Maybe you would have fed me a few drinks and tried to get me into the sack. End of story. That's not true. Are you sure about that? Can you honestly tell me that it wouldn't have made a difference? I mean, who's fooling who here? You know that in hindsight, but but like think about this beforehand. Like I had to do these things to be to, uh, you know to, to, to be taken serious. And of course, like it's kind of like movie shenanigans. But I do really like that. Uh, well, I, I, I I do really like that sentiment. There's also an element in it, and this is, I know, I jokingly said before, she says several times. and I'm not going to spend the rest of my life working my ass off and getting nowhere just because I followed rules that I had nothing to do with setting up, okay? And then, like, at the end, when she explains that she, like, had to bend the rules because of her station, mm-hmm. because of where she was. I mean, you can bend the rules plenty once you get upstairs, but not while you're trying to get there. And if you're someone like me, you can't get there without bending the rules. That is what made me think about a lot of the things Elizabeth Warren is talking about or a lot of things a lot of progressive politicians have been talking about, about the system being rigged for the people at the bottom. And in the end, this movie is a little bit more about class and mm-hmm. how someone at the bottom, like how it is, how how you do have to climb up and how you have to break the rules because the rules are, the deck is so stacked against someone like Tess and someone like Sin. And it's so interesting though, Cynthia, played by Joan Cusack, is not really supportive of what Melanie is doing. And she has that amazing, um, they have that amazing fight in Sigourney's office. Look, all I'm saying is, if you're so smart, why don't you act smart and save your ass while you still can? Else you're going to find out you're not going to have your job or any job. You're out of your man in your home already. I'm going to come clean as soon as I get my end set up. I swear. I know what I'm doing. Yeah, so do I. Screwing up your life. No, I'm trying to make it better. I'm not going to spend the rest of my life working my ass off and getting nowhere just because I followed rules that I had nothing to do with setting up, okay? I'll see you, Tess. Sam. Sometimes I see you dance around the house in my underwear. Doesn't make me Madonna. Never will. And ugh, Joan Cusack in this movie, I think she has less screen time than Judy Dench in Shakespeare in Love and is still no. nominated for the fucking Academy Award. No, well, she, I mean, well, Judy Dench let's has just dive into. She, let's just dive into Joan real quick. Let's just have a Joan moment and appreciate well, what she has done in this film. Well, there is so many, uh, you know, well, okay, so 
So as my as my angel has found a twig and is losing her damn mind, my angel, uh, who I who is my daughter, my cat, uh, her name is Latoya Jackson, but her true birth name is Debbie Latoya Jackson, after Joan Cusack's character and Adam's family values. I'm telling you all so many secrets. Uh, last time I told you my middle name was Robert. I've now exposed <laughs> my cat's. Um, hidden first name. Y'all this are going to come. This is just an intimate portrait. Lifetime intimate portrait of Jason Robert Next T. Morgan week, I'm Black. Next week, I'm going to give you my social security number. Stay um, tuned. I'm going to jump real far into the personal. And so, yeah, I mean, that's, I, I guess I was just trying to highlight with you that Joan Cusack has been literally, uh, and Nick knows this, one of my all-time, all-time idols. I, I again, when you see, when, when you kind of, you know, because we had like so much time to see all of these these women's movies together, and and we would like these movies would kind of propel us. So we would go to the go to the um, video store and be like, "Oh my God, Sigourney Weaver's in this one!" And just because of that, we would rent it. Um, I was able to do that with Joan Cusack, and she, uh, you know, brother of John Cusack, she was. I think one of her first films was in. Um, 16 Candles, and she plays the lady with the neck brace. And I instantly was like, that woman is so funny, and she has no lines. Oh my god, she is so funny. So funny, trying to get that fucking drink of water at the water fountain at the dance. <laughs> uh, I died, I died, favorite part. We will definitely and do a whole Joan Cusack episode, we have to. Abso- honey, absolutely. I mean, this is true, like, you know, I have, I would say like I have about like five, like, most important people. She's one of those, she's one of those five. Like, she is iconic. I mean, yes. she is an animal force inside of me. And then I saw this movie, and I just remember, I just, again, I was just so tickled. I was just so tickled by her performance and the energy and verve that she was bringing to it. And that it was probably right then that I, that I, I became a complete stand for Joan Cusack, and my mom would be, uh, would would then, like, you know, go out and source Joan Cusack material. She's so, she's so real and so big all at the same time. And she, um, she is really one of the few people who has been, or at least twice nominated for the Academy Award for pure comedic performances. This is, this is one of them. And the other one is in, in and out. And And there are very few, I mean, there aren't that many people who are consistently nominated for comedic work, and she is. And the, the Harrison Ford, it's the iconic line of the movie. May I help you? Jack Trainer to see Miss McGill. Let's give her a shout, shall we? You do, sir? I'm Mr. Jack Trainer to see you, Miss McGill. Thank you, Cynthia. Hold all calls, Miss McGill? Yes, Cynthia, thank you. Can I get you anything, Mr. Trainer? Coffee, tea, me? <laughs> Isn't she right? That'll be all, Cynthia. <laughs> it's so good. I, I yeah, I, I just her. I, I mean, Joan Cusack just sparkles with like with life and 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 the timing is just she just knows how to get in there. And even though she can play broad, there is like there's always that like kind of. Uh, there's like she's like kind of sending it up but like she really does like you can see in her eyes she's concerned for Tess she like really kind of with the dialogue and then with her um uh with her characterization shows that like she's okay with her life like this is she doesn't want to change and she really is kind of threatened that Tess that Tess does yeah uh you know like she still wants to be her best friend but kind of to a point like 
Don't go too far, Tess. Like, but then go- she is so happy for her at the end. And that shot, I, when she says she has her own oh, office and she's shouting in that secretarial pool, is so beautiful. You see, I forgot about that last shot. And and I love that that's what they ended it on. They mm-hmm. ended it on, she, she's in her office, and they start doing this iconic pan out to uh, Let the River Runs, where they're seeing every, every, ah, oh, the capitalists! I thought it was very, I, I, see, I, y'all, I can't sometimes spell my name if I don't take a pause. So just to think about people beat it, office, it's very, like, inspiring. foreign to me. It's inspiring. Well, well, it's foreign to me, so I'm just I'm just kind of in awe of it. Like I'm sure it's all awful, but I'm kind of like, oh wow, like you have a structure to your day. I have never had any structure in my entire life. So it's whatever. So they pan out and they see all of these little, you know, workers working, and then she's on the Tessa's on the phone and she doesn't call Harrison Ford. She calls her girlfriend. And um and Joan Cusack stands up and screams in a, with a room full of secretaries like, someone's made it. And Someone like, made it out of our purgatorial hell of the it secretarial does look like, pool. It does look like hell, though. I mean, uh, it yeah. does look like a, like a swamp of desks. And you know what I thought? This is a hot take, y'all. This is why it's called For the Girls. It's because I thought, man, all of those computers are in a landfill. <laughs> right. Yeah, right, I just all Those that shit. Old, I love when the, her new Big secretary says, computers. gives her like all of her meetings for the day. She's like, and on your computer, you can just hit Control S for your schedule. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was like, I bet you could, because there are probably only like six things you could do with that old ass computer, including writing confidential emails like our girl Sigourney does to plot her evil plans. Well, see, I thought that was an email, but I I think it was maybe just her writing out like an actual fax. Or something oh, it like, was like her document. It was like her word yeah, processor. It was like her word processing document. Like she keep was this confidential from Tess. But who was she telling to keep it? She was just reminding herself. She, she was reminding herself on. <laughs> she was reminding herself, like you know, when she was working on that exercise bike, which I definitely want. I would love to have because well, it like, works out your abs like and mm-hmm. you're doing exercise. Oh, I need one of those so badly. Um, um I will say this, like. Can I get negative? Have we yeah. been negative? We've been kind of. We've been kind of. Mo- I mean, because because I do think this movie is truly it, it is still very inspiring to me, and I think it really meant a lot to 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 to, uh, to women in the eighties. I know it meant a lot to my mom, mm-hmm. and like the whole romance bit just feels a little shoehorned in. Um, I have a hot take on Harrison Ford. Though, just wait for it. But what I did, what I what I did find kind of a little bit definitely off putting beyond the messages and whatever. Was how much titties were in that this film? I totally, I just kept writing titties. Oh my god, why is he? I was like, this is such a male director, uh, 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 needing to put titties in a movie called Working Girl. Right. Who do you think seen this movie? Your bros, like. Uh, but that's I'm how they sure were the getting pe- the bros to the theater was the scene, and it was. I remember at the time, and people like guys I knew talking about it. Oh, yeah, because she vacuums with her top off. I didn't remember that. And I was like, oh, my gosh, Melanie Griffith's titties are out vacuuming. Well, she's, her titties were already out when she was, like, canoodling with Harrison Ford. Right. And then and then the girl who's, like, having sex with funky with Alec, Alec With gross Alec Baldwin. Alec Baldwin's kind of good in this movie, though. Oh, he's a snacky, snacky snack. We could play <laughs> Mary fuck another kill. guy. Mary Fuck. <laughs> No, no, no. Um, I have a marry, fuck, kill for this. I would marry Harrison, fuck Alec, and um, kill Kevin Spacey. Oh, well, duh. Um, (laughs) It was so easy. But let me see. Wait, let me see. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, you're right. Because my God, has Harrison Ford preserved that yachty? Like, man, I mean, he when he gives him his hotness, when he gives himself the armpit um, bath in his office, I almost had a heart attack. I had to pause the film, rewind, and watch it again. It's so fucking sexy. Harrison Ford was a huge sexual awakening for me in my life, and like one of my first, like mine too. All the time, Temple Im- of Doom, Temple of Doom, all the time. Imagining between him. Aladdin the cartoon and Zach mm-hmm. Morris on Saved by the Bell. Mm-hmm. It was like my trifecta of, oh, wow, I need to be married to one of these men immediately. Yes, Temple of Doom was huge. Here's mine. Here, Here's what my fantasy was. My fantasy was Slater and Slater Uncle was, Jesse. And oh, I would Uncle lead Jesse. them up to like a Temple of Doom like thing and I would strap their arms in to... Um, like bricks, and then I'd rip their shirts off. <laughs> and As then if what? I was like, I didn't know what to do after that. But I remember being <laughs> like, I remember being like, this is very hot and like sensual. But I remember like, I would, but I would just, so I would always stop there because I really had no clue what else to like do to like, they were like my tortured sex slaves, Uncle Jesse and Slater, um, <laughs> for the girls podcast. Is just is really just us reliving our sexual fantasies. Okay. I almost threw something at the TV. So going back to the iconic beginning, we're watching the original Working Girl, Lady Liberty, get panned around, and then you see the first title starring Harrison Ford, and I just about destroyed my very nice large television because I was like, "How the fuck does Harrison Wait, did he, Ford?" He, got to, he didn't get top. He, he has top? top fucking billing in this movie. Did you did you hear his? Uh, did you see the, another uh, this other clip where he uh, Cataly is like, and I play the woman, I play the girl part, so that's unusual, gross. And I was, but I was also, but I kind of actually, you know what? On to the movie's credit, I'm here for this. I'm here for like that. He is just as this kind of like naive, kind of powerless man, and beyond him, every other man that's featured in this film is pretty disgusting. You do well, not yeah, have really, for them. They're very, that's a cool thing Mike Nichols does. All the men are very predatory. There's even a, a part where Melanie is walking up her little sidewalk in Staten Island and there's this extra behind her. This guy like turns and looks at her and leers at her and I was like, oh my God, is she going to get attacked? Like there's this element of every man in the movie. The first man we meet in the movie is literally taking a shit. <laughs> Oh yes, yeah. Like, like, uh, and I did. I was like, he better. And he does say like, thank you. That was very kind. Like, mumbles after he's like screaming right. at her to like let him. But so I was like, oh, well, at least he. Um, but uh, enough about these men. Let's talk about that? Melanie. Yes, yeah. You gave me your hot take on Melanie that like her career did blow up. I don't think that's true. Unfortunately, I don't think that there's facts for that because I felt I felt very sad. Um, uh, seeing this because in my mind I think in our minds she blew up but well, I think uh, Melanie was I was a huge no not the way she deserved at all and I was such a huge Melanie um, fan as a kid I loved the movie Pacific Heights a lot I, which is a thriller with her and Michael Keaton I loved the film Milk Money which is a really great film in which she plays a sex worker and I really loved the movie Now and Then which we are having a lot of trouble finding anywhere. So anyone who can give us a link or send us a now and then DVD, you're going to be a Ooh. podcast star. And then send us a DVD player, honeys, because I don't <laughs> make that computers I have one. with that anymore. I have a um, DVD player. 
I think it was a lot to do with her similarities to Marilyn Monroe. I was a huge Marilyn Monroe fan mm-hmm. as a kid. I had Marilyn Monroe everywhere in my childhood bedroom, posters and tin types and stuff. And she was had a real Marilyn yes. Monroe thing yes. going. And even in this movie, the breathiness. I wrote down, I think she's like a little lamb in this movie. Well, that's you what know? I was going to say. Janet, Janet Maislin, she compared, uh, for, when reviewing Working Girl, she says, like, oh, like, this is our uh, generation's Marilyn Monroe. Yes. Uh, and so I think, like, a lot of people kind of have. And, you know, remember, she was, she was in Born Again, yes, or... Born uh, Yesterday. Born Yesterday with John Goodman, which we also really loved. And she was, I mean, she had, a, she had a really good string in the late 80s. Like something, her first big feature was some, or second big feature after Body Double was Something Wild, which is a Jonathan Demme movie that's really great. Uh, and, bon, and Bonfire of the Vanities. And Well, that was a huge, that was like, well, that kind of was a huge bomb. I mean, yes. I mean, for us, we love these movies, but I do think... When you uh, reading up a little bit on her history, she was she had you know she had she was in and out of some uh, um, addiction issues, right? She was, she was married. in and out of marrying Don Johnson. She was just re- well, after this movie, she remarried him, right? And then she got rid of Don Johnson and married historic snack Antonio, Antonio Banderas. Banderas. Um, and but are I they still together? They unfortunately are not. Um, okay. And she, I, her daughter is new um, icon Dakota Johnson, new queen, <laughs> new queen who I think like is really going to shine. Uh, I think she's really doing some work to get out of the fifty, 50 you know, fifty shades um, hole. I really, I, anyways, I, I have hope for her because um, she has a goddess of a mother. Uh, but yeah, I think Melanie really was trying was was pigeonholed though with that kind of Marilyn Monroe bombshell kind of baby voice thing. And I think people really limited her, um, in li- really limited her career because of that. Like, I, and I think Working Girl was, you know, uh, I, we haven't really mentioned Working Girl was nominated for six Academy Awards. People, it was. It was um, picture, director, actress, supporting actress, supporting actress, and actor, or screenplay. Um, uh, actor Melanie Griffiths. Oh no, no, not actor, not actor. not not Harrison. Song. Song, of course, song. And, yeah, no, Harry Simon is so great. Um, But I was also thinking about Melanie. It was a time, there was a time, and you know. Tell me if I'm wrong, or don't, because it's our fucking podcast. I can be as wrong as I want to. I can tell um, you. There's a there's a time, there's a generation of great women from the early 90s who then, who were known for their beauty or their sex appeal or their charm that didn't, that Hollywood did not allow to age well, that they ended up, they ended up really using the plastic surgery route or this kind of... Um, desire to stay bombshells. I'm thinking of like Melanie Griffith and Meg Ryan in particular, and Gina Davis. And they didn't, whatever happened, they didn't get to age in the kind of natural way that a Michelle Pfeiffer did um, or that we're seeing now, mm-hmm. like a Sandra Bullock and a Nicole Kidman are doing now. They just kind of yeah. disappeared at a certain point. Meg, Melanie, and Gina all just dropped off the face of the earth in like well, 1998. Well, in general, I mean, I don't know. The hot take to me is women aren't allowed to age. You know, like, right. like they say, like, you, you go from being 
uh, you you're either girlfriend, mother, or grandmother. You know, like right. a. So there's that. B. There's they just don't make movies for women. Right. Anytime a woman's movie comes out, they say, "Wow, this is a woman's movie." And if mm-hmm. it, you know, and if it succeeds, then they say, "Look, it beat the odds." So like, there's just they just don't make pictures for these women, especially when they grow out of being the cute, you know. Their cute, uh, fierce uh, girlfriend self. So I don't know. Right. right. Well, I'm I'm also just thinking of like you think when you think about the first Wives Club and you think about how all of those women were fifty when that movie was made, right. and they were it was considered like a comeback for these older women, and now women who are fifty are still doing like the Sandra Bullock roles, the Nicole Kidman roles. They're still like, you know, shooting bank robbers. They're still you know being considered sex symbols at this age. I feel like the the relationship with age and actresses in Hollywood has changed in some way. I think age has changed. And I was just thinking about this because we are in our thirties. I'm not going to tell you are. up down or middle. It's the middle. Um, and, uh, like I they couldn't thinking... fucking tell by what movies we like to talk about that we're in our 30s. <laughs> I'm I'm just I'm just a classics girl. <laughs> um uh but I was thinking to I was just thinking today, like not necessarily about how this relates to women in movies, but just kind of about how generationally like uh 30s are the new 20s and 40s are the new 30s right and even the people that we are friends with of those age groups that's like a very real thing like i think it back to the people that i was hanging out with in my 20s who were 40s kind of were like 30 year olds to me and i do just i think that that's kind of that's happening across the board so it's like yeah like back when we were back in the 90s when we were growing up 50 was like that was a huge thing that was like women who were 50 and now it's like women who are 50 you know they still have kids they're still shooting right. zombies like it's totally I, I don't know what that is i don't i don't know what that's about but but i do know that we we don't allow women to age gracefully and uh obviously that the endless amount of, of beauty requirements on women and it's nuts it's nuts and i don't know and i don't pretend to know what went on for melanie or any of the women i mentioned but i just am sad that they didn't that they weren't making movies for them that allowed them to continue to be as brilliant as they were in those prime years but speaking of agelessness can let's move on to our completely <laughs> ageless zombie killing alien slaughtering diva who saves gorillas for our whole life sigourney weaver Yes, and um, just y'all know we're going to be doing a podcast on these individual actresses. Yes. Um, we're just breaking down their careers just for fun and in a little bit of way. But yes, yes to the two people that will write into us, each one of these um, divine Women. creatures. Yes, deserves their own. Their own. Mm-hmm. My so Sigourney. Fucking, we Sigourney. fucking love Sigourney. I knew that. We were huge Gorillas in the Mist children. I mean, we would watch Gorillas in the Mist again and again. And Which cry. is a really hectic. Um, hectic tra- movie. Tragic movie. And the thing that's funny about Gorillas in the Mist is that she is that, uh, in, in that Oscars that year, she was nominated for Best Actress for Gorillas in the Mist and Best Supporting Actress uh, for Working Girl. In the same is, fucking year, which is so huge. And so huge, very rare. Very rare. And I had a huge, I don't know if you remember this, I had a huge poster of the ice storm up in my room gonna, as a kid. 
Oh, I love the Ice Storm. We need to do an Ice Storm rewatch really badly. One of my faves. One it's my an Ang Lee movie with her and Joan Allen and Christina Ricci. Kiki Ricci. Kiki Ricci. <laughs> and it's a it's a great fucking movie in which Sigourney is incredible. Oh, and Allison Janney's in that too. Allison Janney's at that key party in that movie. Mm-hmm. Mm, mm-hmm. So good. It's one of Ang Lee's, one of my favorite Ang Lee movies. But yeah, I just love Sigourney Weaver. I love... She's so good in this movie. When she has on those ski boots and then sits on that little side table, I almost fainted. And she's in the blouse that buttons all that white blouse. She's just a a fashion icon template forever. And I do think she imbues this character. You know, I, I think some people do walk away, you maybe being like... Villainess, villainess. I, I do still think, A, I think it's really great that you, uh, you know, for the, the reason why I love this movie so much, the reason why I love all of these movies so much, and I'm not just, again, pandering to this podcast. I mean, maybe I am, honeys, who knows what's going on anymore. <laughs> um, but, 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 but honestly, I, I, I love watching women talk to women, and this movie has that in spades. Mm-hmm. And and that's what's that's what's connected connects me to to most of these movies. Like you know, I, I I've mentioned that I have a twin brother, and he really was drawn to um, the, the the guy movies. So like his eighties movies were Ghostbusters and Top Gun, and I would and we would have to switch on and off, and I would suffer through uh, those uh, manly movies. And then I would just feel so such joy putting on these movies where I got to see, you know, my gals talk. And I really felt at home and safe uh, uh, watching them. Anyways, anyways, so so there so so just seeing those interactions were so fun and and seeing Sigourney, I feel like she 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 imbued that she wasn't just like pure villain. Like, I think there were sections of her that believed in her mantras. Oh, yeah. And and she really does inspire Tess. And she is a a cool boss considering all the fucking monsters that Melanie had worked for before that. Here's a question for you. So in the movie, Sigourney has like, you know, when you walk, I love this trope in movies, when you walk into someone, a really rich or famous person's house and they have screen, Warhol like screen prints of themselves. My God, that, I mean, you cannot escape a movie from like, what, 83 to like well, they do it. In, they do it in First Wives Club too. With Goldie, has that it still goes on. Oh my god! They do it in. Well, that's ninety five, but they do it in Beetlejuice. I'm trying. Was trying to think of other movies with. Bet doesn't Bet have that in? Um, oh, in Beaches, yeah. Oh, in Beaches. In Beaches, yep. and once she once she yep. becomes a huge Broadway star in Beaches. Oh, also Beaches callback, bitch. Melanie's haircut is the same haircut that Bet gets in Beaches when she's going to marry Spalding Gray. Oh, to be a to be a serious woman. Yes, um, it's the serious woman strawberry blonde haircut of the eighties. It's so well, beautiful. I, I love that you did the the Warhol thing, which is yes, which is which always makes me laugh. And <laughs> uh, but I also think I also I thought you were going to say the um, the trope of when the lady boss walks into the office and everyone gets quiet. Oh yeah, because they're all afraid of the, the lady big boss business style. Yeah, it was very big business style. Yeah, I mean, that's a much more cartoon version of this. I think she's also in mergers and acquisitions and big business. Wow, I'm going y'all <laughs> sign sign this girl up. I have so many sneakers. Again, have I mentioned like for the 18th time? I have sweatpants, so I can go to night school in my big stuffy coat and become a mergers and acquisitions. Yes. I actually think I really do think like, and I I have a I have a couple of friends. <laughs> this is fucking sad. I have a couple of friends who are gonna who are who are um, training training to be lawyers. 
And um, <laughs> they've both they both privately told me that I could be their secretaries. <gasps> I think more as a look, just more as kind of being the face. Like they want me to be the face, not as like the technical secretary. They, they like, don't want you to do anything. They just want you to decorate the front office or, or just be the face. You know what I mean? Be right. there kind of glammed up you know and maybe i would have to have a secretary i would the secretary secretary does the kind of filing and i just do the phone calls and the switcheroos the kind of plugging in oh i would love that i'm sorry there because you're not supposed to say they're busy she's in a meeting (laughs) she's i don't have her um oh Something else I wanted to bring up is all... I know that this movie was written by a man and directed by a man, but so many amazing women working on this film, including the historic um, costume designer, Anne Roth. Who amazing. Is of, the clothes amazing. are so... And the historic production designer, Patricia Brandenstein, who, did, who also did Postcards from the Edge, Chorus Line, Silkwood, Amadeus. The production design of this movie is impeccable. Uh, Both women. Think, and cast and you, by two women, Juliet Taylor and Ellen Lewis. And it's yeah. one of the best cast films I've ever seen in my life. Because did you peep uh, Ricky Lake at the wedding? Fucking Ricky Lake cameo at the wedding. Also at the wedding, the woman who plays Bitsy. You know who? <laughs> is she Harrison Ford has to like cut oh. in with Philip Bosco. Yes, She's this, yes. I love that character actress. And I had to look her up. Her name is, Mar- uh, is Marceline Hugo. And she's in Tu Wong Fu. And she's in Julie and Julia, and I love her. She, like, appears all over the place. Oh, yes, yes. And then, of course, Nora Dunn is in it. Nora Dunn is in it. Fucking um, David Duchovny has a cameo. I know he's not a girl, but I, I'm a huge X-Files fan. I don't remember that. He's, like, a friend in the bar when they have the engagement party. I got I mean, and that's a kind of a problematic line, but I'm going to say it. I got to... I got a I got a brain for business and a body for sin. Does, no. Yeah. Does I say that right? I have a head for business and a body for sin. Is there anything wrong with that? I mean, I, body, a, a brain for. I can't even say it because I don't have any of those things necessarily. Like, what made you think of that line? Mm, I just think it's sexy, and she said it at a bar when she was in what she called an antihistamine, which is not what a volume is, is it? No, but she didn't want to say she took a Valium. Oh, okay. So she was just okay. Good. She was she was on her toes. Yeah, she was on her toes enough to lie about that. But Joan, but Joan forgot to check the milligrams, which she apologizes for later. Yes, rookie's mistake. Yeah, um, I think rookie mistake. The other, the other amazing woman who is in that movie is um, Suzanne Shepard. Who it's such a small part, but when Melanie goes to her job at the end. She's not the secretary who's Melanie's secretary. She's the secretary who lets her into the uh, um, thing. She's uh, like the front desk secretary. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And she's Carmela Soprano's mom on The Sopranos. Oh, shoop, shoop. And she's shoop. an incredible actor. Did you, and we're going to just do some random stuff now. Did you, uh, did you feel, did you get a New York surge? I don't know. Being in New York can kind of kill you and at times make you feel like dead inside no matter what you see. But I'm in LA, sweeties, and it's like 100 degrees in March. I'm not kidding you. Um, I'm not kidding. It is so hot right now. Um, I mean, it's hot. It's like 75. It's fine. But watching, you know, watching that ferry and this camera swirl around Statue of Liberty and that kind of gust, that kind of just got a hustle gusto. 
I don't know. Maybe I did get. I, yeah, I did get a New York surge. I do have yeah. that New York. I love New York, and I'm such a New Yorker, and I love living here, and I love the Staten Island ferry. Um, and okay, bucket list. I've never been on it. How oh really? Up I is took that? Billy's mom and sisters and two aunts on it when they were here once, and we had so much fun. We just wrote. You can just write it there and back. And it's I know. Free, I want to brown. I want to brown bag it in my like in my. I want to have like a you know like a beer in a bag, even though I don't drink beer. Uh, I just want to do that, um, and I want to wear like some thick, like LA Gear sneakers with some thick white socks and, mm-hmm. and some tights. And I just want to like live. It's, it's free, really fun. Bitch. It's it's yeah. free. We should do it the next the next time you're here. We'll do it. and We'll take a picture okay. of it. Yes, um, yes, yes. We'll record it while I'm listening to uh, uh, "Let the River Run." Okay, here's something. Here, here, here we go. I'm te- okay, before I tell you my social security number, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about ourselves, myself and ourselves. I watched this movie about a decade ago when I did live in New York. And I was living in a, an, an actual a tenement, um, which they really don't have that many anymore, in which the tub was in the kitchen um, behind, what do you call that, Venetian blinds? Yeah, it was, yeah, sure. They're not Venetian blinds, folding blinds, I would have called them. Folding blinds. Wooden folding blinds would cover that tub, yeah. So it kind of looked, yeah, like there were, it was just a closet, and then boom, tub in the kitchen, and the toilet was literally in like a tiny little closet, and then you just, you had just one sink for your dishes in your hands. It was it was a life, um, and uh, I lived, and it was tiny. It was just like a hallway, essentially, and I, and I lived there with a, my, one of my fabulous uh, uh, best friends named Eric, and I showed him this movie. We were in our 20s, and Tess really became kind of like a patron saint for us. Uh, mm. For years, we would say, we would like, we would correspond uh, when Eric would go away, and we'd be like, he'd be like, I'm coming back, I'm coming back to New York, but we just have to be more like Tess, like... We just, okay, Tess, like, can you do it, Tess? And I'd be like, yes, Tess, I can. And um, it, that Tess was going to be the first tattoo I was ever going to get in, in, our, in, our, in our 20s. We thought maybe we were going to get, like, Tess and written in cursive on us. Oh, that's beautiful. I didn't. Instead, I got my first tattoo was mom. Um, and then I got mom upside down on my other leg that says, wow. And then after that, I decided then the next tattoo was going to be another best friend tattoo. Which is our tattoos that we have together. Our tattoos, baby. Which, gosh, you see, you see, we just, for the kids, we just sprinkle in our history. That's what we do. (laughs) Who knew you were going to hear about our tattoos on a working girl's podcast? I know you're so hungry. We both have the same rose tattoo for our diva Bette Midler. Well, funny... Funny enough, Nick always says we have the same rose tattoo, but we don't because we had him draw out. Um, this uh, is not a hot take. Different. Yes, this is. I think it's so funny. Nick thinks we have the same tattoos, tattoos, but we had him draw out tattoo designs, and I picked one, and Nick thought he picked the same one, but he didn't. So we have very similar. T- we have a, a, we have roses in the same bush, but they are not identical. <laughs> they're by the same artist, and they're both on our arms. And they're both so on our yes. Go. Check they're out my Instagram; you can see my rose tattoo, and Jason's is somewhat like that. <laughs> just different yeah i don't have it i don't have it uh, well i love yeah. that and i let's it's a, i love eric so there's a shout out to your tess and i think that that's um a beautiful way to say goodbye to this beautiful movie about friendship and women and um women <laughs> helping it? each other and succeeding 
And yes, and you are, and I just can't let this go, but you are my tattoo sister. You're my Tess, basically. Oh, no, Eric is still your Tess. Well, you're my T.S., my Tess. And Eric (laughs) is my T.E.S., my Tess. So I have, and I hope everyone can have those because it's really important and and keep the sisterhood alive for the girls. Keep the sisterhood alive and um, go watch Working Girl. Give it a rewatch. It's not really streaming right now. You have to pay money for it. But um, but it's but it's a good it's a, it is. I know that we kind of were all over the map on this, but it really is a. It, I mean, I think if you just kind of take it for what it is and take it as the artifact that it is, it's a really fun. It's a, it's a it's a really fun watch. There's some it's really great performances. Just great acting and beautiful performances from all the women. And a couple of the men, too, are okay. Thanks for listening this week, you guys. Um, thank you for wow. last... Thanks last week for uh, Alexis Michelle and our lovely Liza episode. How funny was that? We, had, we did not do that on purpose, that we were releasing our Liza on her birthday. On her birthday. Wasn't that great? Happy so 73rd, Liza May. We didn't even realize that, so we don't even say it in the episode. But yeah, we released it on her birthday. That was Kismet. That's I the magic. Know. That's the magic of Ms. Michelle. Um, so f- you can follow us on Instagram and uh, Twitter and Facebook. We're Did you know that, Jay? Girls, yeah, I kind of do. I'm, you know, I'm too busy working, girl, for my mer- working girl for my mergers and acquisitions, girl. That I don't really have much time for social media, so. This episode has to be called For the Working Girls. <laughs> I know, yeah. Yeah, I hope we covered that enough. I don't know. <laughs> that we, we, we really talked about like, how I think it was very important for secretaries. I don't know. I don't really know what we said, honestly. We talked a lot a about capitalism episode. and Pete Booty Judge. Uh, like us, subscribe, download. Oh, my gosh. Even if you don't listen to us right now, if you download, we can cheat the system. We can cheat this capitalist podcasting system. We're, and, fighting, um, against, we're fighting against Reaganomics here, people. You have to help us out. We are the Melanie Griffith Tess of podcasts. and We're the we're Melanie Griffith take... and Joan Cusack of podcasting. Yes, bitch. And we're trying to take down the Sigourney Weavers. And with your help, we can, so... Yeah, exactly. Or we can teach them our ways and they can join a more cooperative, female-centered work environment. Hell yeah, girl. Hell yeah, working girl. So yeah, rate us, review us, um, follow us on social media, share this with your friends, pass this, um, tell people in your office cubicle, go and get a piece piece of cake and a coffee at that little stand you have in your office and tell your girlfriends about it. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.